Section 29 of Loop Guru. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wayne Cook. Loop Guru by Eden Philpotts. Section 29. Enigma of the Doubloons. Chapter 5. Eureka. Matt strode off with his old frock-coat fluttering. He felt no doubt as to where Tom had gone, and made accordingly at his best pace for the lad's cabin. A negro was able to give some information in answer to hurried questions. "'Yes, sir. I meet gentleman going long, terrible fast. I say, "'Why are you going so quick, massa?' And he say, "'Out of the way, nigger. I was in a mighty hurry or something like that. A wild fanatic, wild gentleman, sir, young with yellow hair.' Long time now since I see him. Mr. Jagger pushed forward rapidly and presently found himself by Tom's cabin, near the center of the two great rings that encompassed it. Tom was not in sight, but he or another had evidently been there quite recently. The door of the hut was open, some new digging operations were in progress just outside it, and a yard measure trailed along the ground from the marked rock of the triangle almost to the door of the cabin. Tom had apparently been galvanized into some frenzy by a sudden discovery, fancied or real. Twenty-four yards were marked off on the tape, the exact distance at which the three rocks of the triangle were situate apart. It was at the base of the second rock that the hut stood where the boy had set out to work. Why he had desisted and where he was now, the searcher could not guess. As a matter of fact, poor Tom had seen his companion approaching, and had hidden himself at hand until Matt should depart again. This the old digger presently did, and wandered hither and thither calling to his friend. No answer came to the summons, however, so he went home again, trusting that the sick boy might have already come to his senses and made his way back. But only the dumb negro met Matt, and wasting no words, Mr. Jagger started once more this time for town. The night was far advanced when he reached Mr. Hargan's private dwelling, and quickly aroused that gentleman. Two hours later, with the old merchant's aid, he had gathered half a dozen young men together, and returned through the night to the northern borders of the island. They all carried small arms, and Matt arranged a signal to be used in the event of success. Each man worked with a will, risking his own neck in the search, and Jagger, though his elderly limbs began to tire, toiled harder than any amongst them. He labored on, out of sight and out of sound of the others, but it was long hours before any glimpse or hint of the missing boy rewarded him. Then, when the morning broke, the old digger made his arduous way through the forest down to his friend's cabin, and there came face to face with what he sought. Silent and unconscious by his work, lay Tom Wedderborn. The dew glimmered in his bright hair. By his side was a pick and shovel. Near at hand a considerable aperture extended in the soil. Matt fired his pistol thrice to let the distant searchers know their task was ended. Then, raising the cold form of his chum, he carried him with all haste into the adjacent cabin and set about every means of restoring life that he knew. 
Tom had evidently returned to his labor when Matt last left it, and there he had toiled wildly until his overtaxed strength gave way, or some sudden shock deprived him of consciousness. Soon a scorching August morning set the hot air dancing and flooded the wild mountainside with light. Then, in response to Mr. Jagger's summons, his fellow searchers, weary and bedraggled, arrived upon the scene. With them a crowd of chattering negroes, and as Dr. Tarrant happened to be amongst the volunteers who had spent the night on the hills, he was now able to direct Matt's despairing efforts. "'Gone, I judge,' said the old man hoarsely, looking up from where he sat, chafing Tom's cold hands. "'Can't be sure, though it looks bad. We'll fight death for him yet,' replied the other. He set about further expedients, but Jagger felt only too certain that hope was idle. He left the doctor and went forth to where his party were making a hasty breakfast. "'Gown,' he said shortly, in answer to their hurried queries, "'gown to our goals no account.' They were for making a litter and carrying poor Tom back to the town, but his friend had another notion. "'Guess not. Pears to me that here, here where he fought his little fight and got beat and broke his heart, here, in this hole of his own diggings, the place most fitting to let him rest. Let Hargan know what's befallen him when he get back, and maybe it would be well to send a minister along also. Then he directed some of the loafing negroes to enlarge the pit at their feet, and the white men, knowing Matt's eccentric nature, and not caring to argue about his suggestion, soon departed to obey his wishes when they should reach the town. Mr. Hargan started immediately for the theater of the tragedy upon hearing what was reported to have happened, but long before he could arrive, although he lost no time in so doing, two marvelous, strange things had come to pass. Matt, leaving the graveside for a moment, went in to see Dr. Tarrant, and that worthy, being in a state of profuse perspiration, working like the Briton he was, shouted to him that there were fast-ripening signs of life in the still figure upon the ground. At the same moment, a negro rushed after Mr. Jagger, and the Ethiopian was even more excited than the medical man. Please, sir, come find have been found, sir. Not a German, him belly in the pit, sir. Matt, nearly torn in two, but aware that the lad was safe in Dr. Tarrant's hands, hastened out again to find all the black men had stopped working and were standing jabbering upon the bank. Looking down, he saw, sticking from the earth, two corners of some coffin-like receptacle that certainly justified the negro's suspicions. Taking a pick himself and getting into the hole, Mr. Jagger speedily laid bare a deep oblong box, the timbers of which had rotted to touchwood, and were only held in their places by rusty iron clamps at its corners. The old digger stuck his pick through the lid and wrenched off one side. It crumbled in dust, and a great glittering, tinkling stream of broad gold pieces came tumbling out after it. The money had apparently been cased in canvas bags, but the fabric of them had long since rotted. The blacks began dancing and yelling like demons. They swarmed round the treasure, and some jumped into the pit to snatch for themselves 
but Jagger had them out again in a twinkling and proved quite equal to the great occasion. Then, as Dr. Tarrant rushed from the cabin with a wild shout of, Alive! He's alive! Matt drew his revolver and took a seat on the bank above Tom Wedderborn's doubloons. Now, Niggs, he said grimly with a tear on his wrinkled cheek, which he did not know was there. You hear what the boss says? The boy's alive, thank the Lord. So keep your legs still and your thick heads shut, or like enough you'll have something to sing and dance for. This stuff ain't yours, and it ain't mine, see? It's the boy's, every fat shiner of it. So stop your row and behave like men, not monkeys. First black paw that comes over the pit edge will have a hole in it and mighty sharp anyway. Now you know. Then, under his direction, a blanket was procured from Tom Wedderborn's cabin and spread out upon the ground. Matt then set two negroes to work and watched them like a hawk the while. A great shining heap glimmered in the sunshine and grew upon the blanket. Then, when Mr. Hargan and others presently arrived from town, Matt was able to leave his position and enter the pit again himself. Soon being convinced that nothing remained, he scrambled out again with the last of three small tin cases that had apparently been buried beneath the larger box. The blanket was strengthened against the heavy burden it had to sustain. Ropes were bound round it, and anon a rough, stout vehicle, perhaps just such as one as old Enoch Wedderborn had himself used in the far past, was dragged to the spot and loaded with the doubloons. But long before the precious mass of gold started under armed escort for town, Tom Wedderborn, with Mr. Hargan and Matt Jagger riding beside him, had been conveyed on a comfortable litter slung between mules to the Danish merchant's private house. Matt stayed a while, until Dr. Tarrant was able to speak with something approaching a note of hope as to the future. Then, pretty well exhausted in mind and body, the old man trudged wearily and happily homewards. There he was too sleepy and worn out to trouble himself with the papers which Tom had scattered round in his recent departure. But after twelve hours' dreamless sleep, Mr. Jagger rose again, refreshed, collected his friend's notes and memoranda, and examined them with interest. It was not easy to trace the explorer's progress, for his discoveries seemed to be reached by no very regular stages. He had wandered at random amid useless ideas, until inspiration suddenly came, and the enigma of the doubloons gave up its last secret. One incomplete note on a fragment of paper told the tale. Thus it ran. Try Matt's plan without cipher zero at end of figures. Take numerals only. Then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, over nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Here, 86 equals 24. A ring with 24 yards radi... Tom had broken off abruptly here in a tempest of excitement. No hand was by to stop his mad flight, and possessed for a brief space of time with unnatural strength, he had hurried away to verify his discovery. Fate, unkind so long, ordained that by strange chance 
his first wild attempt should be directed to the identical spot beneath which the treasure reposed, for the doubloons lay exactly twenty-four yards from the marked rock at the base of one of the other boulders which went to complete the triangle. And Tom had actually got within six inches of the money when he fell, senseless and beaten, where he had lain by night, tossing and troubled on his couch in the cabin. The doubloons were but eight or ten feet from his own curly head. When young Wedderborn recovered consciousness, the first fellow creature he saw was Matt Jagger, and the first thing he particularly noticed was a little pile of fat golden doubloons beside him on the table. Dr. Terence said that a sight of the money would do more good than all his medicine, and it certainly contributed no little to the invalid's recovery. His mind found rest and relief in contemplating the fact that his fight was over and won, and his body soon felt the results of his mental condition. Time flew, and the boy, restored to health, began to look over the blue sea towards home. None amongst his friends would take a share of the doubloons, and Jagger simply insulted Tom when he suggested such a thing. But the youngster was even with them all, for he left an unopened tin box to Mr. Hargan, Mr. Jagger, and Dr. Tarrant, and each of the said receptacles was found to contain jewels and antique scentings, which represented property of considerable value. So Tom sailed away, and the land of his adventure knew him no longer, but one or two people heard pretty regularly of his doings. Folks said that Matt Jagger grew more and more eccentric and unsociable after his chum left St. Thomas. There are times, however, when a glimpse of the digger in his tattered frock coat can still be had. Where the two great circles stretch out round a rocky triangle, circles now only faintly visible under fresh wealth of tropic vegetation, there, at dawn, in the center of them, by the tumble-down remains of Tob Winterborn's cabin, may an uncouth, bent old man be frequently observed. And as the day breaks, as morning flushes the wild land, and the gray mists of night rise and vanish on golden wings, Matt rolls another cigarette and slouches off. The End End of section twenty nine. End of Loop Garou by Eden Philpotts.